So that'll be next Wednesday, um, seven o'clock. Well, we'll just be upstairs for that. So, okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, why don't you open your Bibles to Psalm 49. While you're there, um, just as another reminder for the Ladies' Day retreat um, that's coming up. Um, it's uh, Saturday, October 7th from 9 to 3. Lunch is provided. Um, we're asking that you pay $10 to go. Um, there's registration forms. There's some in the back here. And then we'll, we have them out on Sunday as well. But that's for ladies 18 and up. Um, we have a guest speaker, her uh, little short biographies in the brochures and also on the bulletin board over here uh, over here for you guys to see. So, um, all right, Psalm 49. Uh, let's read it and then we'll pray. Verse 1, it says, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish." This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich. When the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that uh, as we are looking at your word, as we are studying these things, like Mariel prayed, that our hearts would be soft, our, our ears would be open to what you have to say. The psalmist here writes about inclining his ear to hear this proverb, Lord, and I pray that our hearts would be the same, Lord, that we would understand it's your Holy Spirit speaking to us individually that our perspective on earthly things, on heavenly things would be set right, Lord, that our eyes would be open to your perspective on the world that we live in. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the psalmist here, it's, uh, this is another one, says to the chief musician, um, and it's a psalm of the sons of Korah, which was a, a group of Levites that 
um, were given responsibility over worship in the temple. Um, And the psalmist here writes, he says, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. So there's something unique that we see here in this psalm in that the psalmist is not just writing to Israel, not writing to the church specifically, but the truth and what is being described here. This is a universal truth that is for all people to hear, to see, and to understand. And what's being declared is something that can, in the first part, be seen. Um, And that, like we read here, the main point of this psalm on the negative side of it is that it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, wise or foolish, have sensitivities or you're senseless, everyone dies. And you can't take what you've gained in this life with you. And that's a point that we all see and experience uh, in the world. It's for all peoples, all inhabitants, low and high, rich and poor together, is that our lives are, are transitory, they're passing. That, that what we do in this life uh, that is done in the flesh that none of those things account for anything. We know as believers that the only thing that accounts for any eternal significance is what is done in the Lord, is what is done for Him. So there is weight to what we do here and now, but from the world's perspective, from the outside, those things, they don't last. Wealth, riches, the achievements that the world holds dear, they they account for nothing. They amount to nothing. And so right away we see there's this perspective that's in opposition to what the world uh, declares is right and true. Very beginning verse here, it says that all inhabitants of the world, that, that word for world is actually this passing age. Right away the psalmist is declaring that even the world that we live in is just passing. It's temporary. That, that the the creation that we live on that outlasts us individually men uh, over the ages have just died but the earth has continued on for now Uh, we we know there's going to be an end coming but for now we see it's lasted for so long that even that is declared as just passing it's transitory it's a temporary thing so he says give uh, ear all inhabitants of the world both low and high it's interesting in the Hebrew that the words for low and high is ben Adam and ben Ish. So those are both words for uh, son of man. But one is son of Adam, a man of the dust. And it speaks of mankind in his lowly uh, created nature that all men are, are equal, created out of the dust of the ground like their father Adam. But then also uh, ben Ish. And ish meaning a uh, man, but more specifically a, a significant man, a specific man. So the psalmist, again, he's writing, it doesn't matter your status. If you're just one of the multitude or if you're someone of significance, this is for you to hear and to understand. And again, he, he it, like Hebrew poetry where they have these parallels and restating the same thing over and over to really fill out the meaning. He says, rich and poor together. So status doesn't matter, doesn't matter where you live, what your people group is, doesn't matter your status at all. 
we have to hear the words that are being spoken. And that's something that's true for all of the scriptures, for all of us. We, we do have specific portions of scripture that have specific application to different groups of people. But the Spirit of God has given the word to all people uh, that have received him and have received the Holy Spirit to be illumined by it, to, to have it opened up to them. But, but it's given, and the truth that here is for all of us to see and to understand. And there's application for each and every person as we read and study the scriptures, as we look at all the different pages. There's application for each of us. So he continues on, verse 3, he says, My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. So there's two aspects here. The speaking of wisdom is an external expression. He's saying, I'm going to tell you this, and what I'm speaking is wisdom. Wisdom is the, the right application of truth, of knowledge. It's how to live, how to walk, how to apply what we're hearing, what we're seeing. And he says, my mouth shall speak wisdom. But the second part of that is interesting. He says, the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. See, the psalmist here, he wasn't just sitting there on his soapbox and shouting out to all the people, listen to what I'm saying. This is something he was meditating on in his heart, something that the Lord had spoken to him. And we see that in verse 4, where he says, I will incline my ear to a proverb. He's paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying to him. So this isn't just his wisdom, his understanding from his own mind, but it's from the Spirit of the Lord. And he's inclined his ear to this proverb, and he's heard. And, and that's a, an application for us as teachers, for anyone who might, even parents teaching their own children, as we look at the scriptures, as we're, we're, we're instructing people in the right way to live and in the truth of the scriptures, we have to have that, that truth sink into our hearts first, to apply it to ourselves first. That, that's one thing that is so important as anyone who's teaching another is that we can speak the truth but if our heart has not learned it ourselves, then there's not going to be the spiritual fruit. There's not going to be the, the uh, impact of the Holy Spirit uh, as he is teaching and showing us that we have uh, to understand all of this. Uh, it says, the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. So he's understood. He's listened to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then he says, I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. That word uh, disclose means to open up. And the dark saying is a riddle. It, it's it's a, a, a thing to ponder, to think on, to, to look at it from all angles, to try and understand it. And what I thought was so interesting here is he says, I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. Uh, he's going to share this, of course, as we know, the Psalms were, were meant to be put to song. The truths there are things that, like we can uh, do just now, they're truths that can be learned just by reading, but they were meant to be sung, to be played with music. You know, uh, we have some people, even within our own fellowship, who avoid worship, who avoid uh, the gathering together, the singing of songs, the worship time that we have for everyone as we come together with Bible study. The Lord 
seeks to use when we do godly biblical worship, which we do do here, when we, when we put scripture to song, when we put the biblical truths to song, the Lord is seeking to teach us to give us the right perspective about things. And if we're avoiding and not participating in worship, we're missing out on what the Lord has for us. We're, we're only, we only have one part of it. Our hearts are, and our perspectives are not given in worship and praise to him. We, we have almost a pride about ourselves is that I don't have to put time and effort into this thing of, that, of worship, but rather I'll just fill my head with what the scriptures say. Where, where's the attitude of your heart and your spirit in humility coming before the Lord in worship and being taught? As a, a young child, um, they're cheesy as all get out, but my mom always had these scripture memory songs albums. Um, I mean, the, the music's terrible, honestly. You might like it, but uh, listening as an adult, they're terrible. However, they were scripture. And for me, a lot of those songs that were playing in my house are memory verses that I still remember as a kid or as an adult now from when I was a kid remembering, uh, you know, how certain songs went. And they, these ones were good because it was literally just scripture. They didn't even really change the rhythm or the words to make it fit any of that. But they would sing these songs. Um, and that's another aspect of when we put the truth to, to music and to worship like we see throughout the book of Psalms. I mean, the book of Psalms is is uh, the longest book in the scriptures, right? It's got the most in there. And, and what is it? It's a songbook. The Lord has set his truth and, and the, the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit to music for people, for us. And it's so important for us to participate and to have that attitude. We have throughout the scriptures, Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul writes the church, says that we should be filled with the Spirit and, and that being filled with the Spirit has a mark of speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're told to make melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to Him. So we teach one another through the music. We encourage one another in these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that it's not just an outward expression of teaching, but it's also an inward form of praise, making melody in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks. There's an aspect of humility there. In fact, Colossians 3.16, which is a parallel passage to that, Ephesians 5, says, uh, Paul writes to that church, he, he says that the word of Christ should dwell richly in us, and that dwelling richly in us will have an outflow of teaching and admonishment in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we're told to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. We're commanded to let that word of Christ dwell richly in us. And that, that comes through, as Paul's writing here, in song, in remembering these things. Worship is so important for us as believers because if worship is not man-focused, like unfortunately a lot of Christian worship is today, if it's God-focused and biblical-based, then it should turn our hearts and our minds to him, off ourselves, set our perspective right, give humility to us where we understand we're wretched, we're in need of the Lord, we're in need of what he has to offer us, and we're, we give thanks to him for what he's done for us. So the psalmist, he continues on, 
And here's the riddle that he says he's going to open up on his harp. Why should I fear in the days of evil, verse 5, when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? So he's almost speaking to himself, saying, why should I fear in the days of evil? Why should I fear? He's seeing an, a right reaction, or not a right, but a normal reaction of people it, when there's evil all around, when there is uh, iniquity at our heels surrounding us. Another way to translate that is uh, when those who are seeking to supplant me. Remember, uh, heel uh, is, or heel catcher is uh, Jacob's name, and we know that he was called that, and another word for that is supplanter, someone who grabs at the heel. And that's the same word, root word here. The iniquity at my heels surrounds me could also be read when those who seek to do me evil are, are trying to trip me up. So there's the two aspects of that. But he says, why should I fear in the days of evil? A normal reaction is to fear, but a biblical godly godly attitude in those days is to not fear and he gives the reason why we should not fear he says those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches none of them can by any means redeem his brother so he's setting the perspective right there are those seeking to do evil to God's people to to catch them up Satan is seeking to do that and, and people who are are walking as children of darkness and, and those who are tools of Satan and are being used by him, they're, they're seeking to uh, attack the Lord and his people. And there is this uh, war that goes on around us, the spiritual war that we see. And there is this tendency for us to begin to fear as that's coming around us. However, the right perspective is that whatever is being successful, whatever is called success, whatever is taking place in this world around us, if we have our faith in God, if our soul has been redeemed by him, that is the thing that counts. That is what matters. Not boasting in wealth, trusting in wealth, or boasting in the multitude of riches. None of them can by any means redeem his brother. They, they think they are being successful. There's a, a seeking a, a, and a striving after a, attaining to glory in this life through wealth, through riches. But it's worth nothing when it comes to the soul of a man. It says, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. The scriptures teach that because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of our sin is death, and that the, the payment that we owe for the sin nature that we've inherited, as well as what we have lived out in our lives in being sinful uh, people when we are without Christ, that there's a debt we have to pay to the Lord for our sin, and that, that's, that's our very lives. And there's a ransom required and nothing apart from the way that God has established for salvation, for redemption, amounts to anything. The world around us right now is obsessed with uh, transhumanism. Have you looked at that at all? We've talked about it for a few years now here at the church off and on. But transhumanism is this idea that 
the technology around us in the world is getting to a point where if we do not learn how to augment ourselves through technology, through advanced uh, medical means or some other form of enlightenment uh, that will cause us to move into the next stage of evolution as mankind that will be overcome and taken over by AI or by, uh, you know, technology getting to this thing they call the singularity. And so there's this, this ever-increasing push and move to uh, extend the life of mankind out. You have these wacky, crazy technologies and ideas that people are trying to do, freezing themselves for long periods of time, um, and, and you know all of these other ways that they're seeking to live, and they're amassing wealth and means so that they can devote their whole lives into improving their physical body with no aspect, no thought to their spirit. No thought to the spiritual things that God says. And it doesn't matter what we are able to accomplish. If we're able to extend our lives out for another hundred years that than the normal life expectancy now, it still doesn't deal with the most important issue in our lives. And that's our soul. And our soul is, without Christ, is condemned to hell. Without Christ. We, we need only one thing in this life and that thing is the redemption that the Lord has to offer for us that is what we need and so this these uh, those who trust in their wealth and boast in their riches they can't do anything about that in verse 8 it says for the redemption of their souls is costly uh, and it shall cease forever that doesn't mean that it's going to continue to always end but it means you can't pay it up you can't pay the price for it says they're trying to redeem his brother, verse 9 ties in with verse 7, says if you, if you take out the parentheses of the middle there, uh, none of them uh, can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Man, since the very beginning, has listened to the lie of Satan, says when you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. You can live a long life, live eternally. Man in the Tower of Babel wanted to raise himself up to be like God, lift himself up to the heavens in the Tower of Babel. Uh, we've seen that this effort has been driven by Satan throughout all mankind, all history of mankind, to be as God is, to seek to live eternally, but none of the works of the flesh will amount to anything that we should continue to live eternally and not see the pit or shield or the grave. Men die. People die. It, it, it's the curse of sin upon the earth that men die. And apart from salvation in Christ, that, that is the end result, is, is eternal separation from the Lord, this eternal death the scripture talks about where man, apart from Christ, is just completely separate in hell uh, from the Lord with a, 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 the weeping and gnashing of teeth, a flame that's not quenched, the worm that does, doesn't die. Uh, that is the uh, eternal home of those who are not redeemed by the Lord. 
So we sit here, we can read this, and we can look at this and say, well, I'm, I'm not wealthy. You know, I, I just live week to week, make minimum wage and, and, and everything, and my, I, I've trusted in Jesus. I've placed my faith in him. But we can ask and say, well, how does this even apply to me? Well, we go back to verse 5, just like the psalmist says, why should I fear in the days of evil? It's perspective right? There's the aspect of, okay, those who are in this world, they're successful, they're succeeding. Uh, what we're facing in our culture now is an ever-increasing animosity towards the church, towards biblical things. And, and, and we see in some aspects there's this success in, in the plans of the enemies of Christ are succeeding around us from man's perspective, Right? We see increasing immorality in the world. We see laws being passed that, that uh, persecute Christians, even in our nations, nation. We see, uh, we see uh, uh, just a cultural animosity towards biblical things. And it seems like the enemy is succeeding. But we as believers, we need to stop and say, why should I fear in days of evil? Why should I fear? There may be iniquity around me. Those are trying, the enemy is trying to trip me up. But ultimately, I've been redeemed. And that's what the psalmist comes to. Look at verse 10. He says, For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish. So he continues on. Um, and he says, And they leave their wealth to others. Verse 10 says, He sees them die. They all die. The wise man, the fool, senseless person, they all perish and leave their wealth to others. Their success, it's left to others. They can't take it with them. It doesn't continue on. It says, and not only that, they, they have some thought for their posterity, but verse 11 says their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. And yet they all die. And nothing lasts. And it doesn't amount to anything spiritually, eternally. And that's what verse 12 says. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Without Christ, without our souls being redeemed, without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, then we amount to beasts that are slave to the flesh, slave to our appetites and our desires. That, that is the greatest thing that men amount to apart from Christ, ultimately. The beasts that perish, no eternity with him. Their souls not being redeemed. And, and this is a truth that can and should be seen by people all around, that it doesn't amount to anything. Uh, John Jacob Astor uh, He's part of the family with the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Uh, famous man, he founded the fur trade, the American Fur Trading Company, uh, was the wealthiest person in America when he died, amounting to the more wealth than Jeff Bezos has in comparison to today. Um, very wealthy man. He, his name is what uh, Astoria, Oregon is named after because that was a main trading post for for the fur company there. Uh, he had a legacy in what he had to live, but he died. 
and he has his name there, but go to Astoria. We, we just drove through Astoria uh, on a vacation here recently. It's run down as all get out. It's wearing out. It, it really has no significance except for some historical thing in the past. There's nothing that, that lasts in that. Uh, his grandson, also a famous uh, Astor, uh, was again one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time. And he got on a very famous boat, the Titanic, and he ended up dying. Did he take anything with him? No. Left everything. He died. Everything was left to his uh, inheritance, to, to the, his posterity after him, leaving his wealth to others. And even then, as we go further on now, who really remembers them? Besides, you know, there's a famous hotel in New York and a, and a rundown city in Oregon named after him. But does it amount to anything eternally? This world's going to be burnt up. Everything that exists is going to be wiped out by the Lord. It doesn't amount to anything. The only things that amount to anything is that our souls are redeemed in Christ and then what we do is we walk with him in salvation. As we, as we follow him, that's what amounts to things. That's storing up our treasure in heaven. So our perspective, our attitude needs to be on heavenly spiritual things. So the application for us is maybe not that, you know, oh, yeah, I'm not very rich, I'm not trusting in my wealth, but maybe you are, even in the small things that you have. You know, um, car breaks down. Do you pray and ask the Lord to provide for you, or do you say, well, I got this nice savings account here, I'll pay for it and take care of it. Or maybe you're fretting and you say, I don't have anything to pay for this, right? But are you seeking and trusting the Lord in Him? And, and seeking to, to follow him in, in what he has for you and trusting in him for those things? Are you relying on your own wisdom and understanding when you face problems in your life? Are you seeking godly biblical counsel when you're struggling in your marriage? Or are you running to what the world has to say? Or by your own understanding, well, maybe if we pay for this counselor that can then tell us what we need to do in our relationship, right? Then our marriage will be uh, set right. Or are we trusting in the Lord? Are we seeking Him? Are we turning to Him? Are, are, are we trusting in Him and not being given over to fear? What is the time that we're spending in our lives, our free time? What, what, what is that coming to? What are, we, what are we devoting our time to? We have some of the junior high in here, young people. What do you spend your time on? Do you spend your time on seeking to learn more of the scriptures, to learn and follow the Lord? Are you seeking to know him better and to walk with him? Or are you looking at the things that you hear and see school or or online or, or, or the you know movies and TV and YouTube and all these other things are telling you? Or are you focused on what the scriptures have to say? Is your life given to seeking and following the Lord? Because all those things around us, they have glitter and they have this attraction of things that amount to stuff, looking nice and having the latest phone and, and a nice car and all these other things. But they amount to nothing. Ultimately, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to have nice things or even wrong to have wealth and to have uh, good things. But when our trust is in those things, when we're boasting in those things, when we've put our entire lives and effort into that, 
then we're, we're storing up treasure on earth that's just wood, hay, and stubble. That's what the scriptures say. So we're to seek the Lord and to serve him. And that's when we have as Christians success. It's really in him. It's just following him, walking with him. It is uh, being led by the spirit and, and having success as Christians is truly just following him and trusting in him. Verse 13, he says, this is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. So again, there's even another layer here of foolishness that's going on. There are those who've trusted in their wealth, who've sought to be successful, who've sought their own pleasure and their own means and their own things here in this life, and then they die. But then not only that, they're, foolishness is is continued on because then their posterity is approving of their wisdom and their sayings it, it, it's uh you know looking at the life of a man who is successful in this life and he made a lot of money or he succeeded in business or he 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 had this this great career or talent of uh, music or or acting or or even just being a businessman and all of these things and, and there's this attraction to run after them as the hero of your life and I'm going to read what they did I'm going to do everything they did I'm going to follow their footsteps oh he went to this school so I'm going to go to that school uh, he he moved to New York City so he could get involved in this you know, music scene there and do all of these other things and following and running after those things because they had an amount of success in this life, but really, it, again, it amounts to nothing. It's foolishness, the scriptures say. The posterity who approve of their sayings. It's also a warning to us as believers, again, like, like Dan said before, who are we reading? Who are we looking at? Who are we listening to? Are we following those who are biblical based, biblically based? I'm having tongue troubles today. Uh, are, we, are we seeking to uh, compare what we're listening to, what we're reading, what we're following to what the scriptures have to say? Are we testing them in light of what the spirit has said in his scriptures? Are we following them? Or are we following just what these men have said because they were, again, successful men or women? There's heavenly treasure and there's earthly treasure. What the end result, verse 14 says, like sheep, they're laid in the grave. Their end result, they're laid in the grave. Uh, death shall feed on them. They're just going to be consumed. Another uh, way to translate that is that death will shepherd them in. They're continuing on in living this life of foolishness following after all of these things and, and earthly success. And yet they're just being shepherded by death into the grave rather than being set free. Like sheep there are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. There's the hope for following Christ. Though they seek to attack God's people, Though there's works that are set up against the church and against the scriptures, there are constant attacks against biblical, godly truth and morals. Though that continues for 
a long time, the end result is that those who are not redeemed in the Lord, they're going to lay in the grave. Death will feed on them. And those of us who've placed our faith in him and follow him, we're promised that we will rule with the Lord. We'll have dominion in ruling with him in his kingdom. We'll follow him. So the ultimate victory is with those who are upright. And that upright is not self-righteousness. It's not what I've accomplished because that's exactly what they were saying. It's what I've accomplished. It's what I've done. But being upright means I'm walking before the Lord in faithfulness. And I'm, I'm submitted to him. I have my faith and my trust in him for salvation. And I, my faith and trust in him for how I'm living my life to be upright. Shall have dominion over them in the morning. It says, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. And then here's that promise. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Redemption. Redemption is not anything that we can earn. That's exactly what this whole psalm is saying. Redemption cannot be earned. It doesn't matter what we try to do in this life. It cannot be earned. Even the wisdom, remember verse 10, he sees the wise men die. Even wisdom, someone who is wise but without Christ, without being redeemed, he will die. He will suffer the eternal torment of hell. It's only when Christ has redeemed our souls that we have freedom from death. We're set free. God will redeem my soul. That idea of redeem and ransom uh, in the ancient times when a uh, war was won, the king who had victory or the leader who had victory would take all the captives in chains to the capital city of his kingdom. And it would be this victory train of captives going to that, going to that city uh, to show how great of a victory he had. And uh, after the triumphant march with all the captives behind them into the city, uh, they, these captives would then be put on auction in markets to either be sold as slaves or killed. And this idea of redemption comes from that aspect of someone coming in. And that was a common thing was you would have kinsmen, you would have uh, people who were related would come in and they would purchase their own kinsmen from those markets and set them free from captivity. That's, we see that, that's kind of the, the uh, secular world in the ancient times, but we see that in the scriptures where we have the kinsman redeemer. When you read the book of Ruth, you see that Ruth who uh, married a, a Hebrew, an Israelite who died and then followed her, her mother-in-law home. Uh, she had no inheritance. And Ruth's uh, uh, mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, had no inheritance left. Uh, no one to claim her, her husband or her son's inheritances and in what they had um, because they had all died. And so uh, Ruth then encounters a kinsman of her husband, uh, who is Boaz, 
and and you read this beautiful story of this this uh, redemption that takes place as Ruth is there at, at the sleeping at the feet of Boaz and reaping in his or gleaning from the remainders of the reapings of his his fields and all of these things taking place and uh, Boaz redeems her by marrying her by by taking her as his bride and then redeeming the inheritance that was going to be lost because her husband um, and all of her father-in-law's posterity had died out and we see that with Christ it's a beautiful picture of Christ where we are truly without any inheritance without any means because of sin because of our uh, uh, inheriting the sin nature from Adam in this world we have no uh, access to heaven we have no spiritual inheritance that is ours we have no uh, ground with which to stand upon before the Lord and yet because of what Christ did for us in becoming our kinsman redeemer dying on the cross and paying the price for us he has given us his own inheritance and he is he has redeemed us from sin from death from the power of the grave like the psalmist writes here he's redeemed our soul and then it says, for he shall receive me. What's interesting, that receive is the same word used of Enoch and Elijah. This means to be snatched away. So there's two aspects of it. Snatched from the grave, but I believe also snatched in the rapture of the church. Being received, being taken. Speaking of the resurrection of the body, if we've died before the rapture takes place, will be snatched from the grave and brought to be with the Lord. God redeems our soul if we place our faith in him. That's the soul of this psalm that we're reading. God will redeem my soul. How precious is the work that the Lord has done for us and what he's done for us, his redemption, the price of redemption. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 17, 1 Peter 1, verse 17, it says, And if you call on the Father, trusting in Him, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, so God's the judge of work, right? We see elsewhere of um, being tested to see if what we've done will stand or be burned up says, uh, without partiality, judges according to each one's work. He says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So here's the action, is be in fear, in reverence and awe of the eternal judge, and live your life as though you will be judged by your works. But also knowing this, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what we've been redeemed with, the precious blood of Christ. He was innocent. That's that picture, a lamb without blemish, blemish and without spot. Uh, Isaiah 53, it talks about him going before 
those who are trying him, being scourged, being uh, beaten, being crucified ultimately, and going uh, like a sheep before its shearers and being silent. The innocence of Christ, of who he was, of what he did, and how precious his blood was, that he died on the cross for us individually, for me, for you. That's the precious price that was paid for our redemption if we've received him if that's the price that was paid and if we consider that to be so precious then why do we walk in this life according to our own understanding seeking after things that amount for nothing why are we walking trying to be successful with corruptible things like silver or gold or the success of man or the success of the world any of those things Rather, we seek to follow him. And like the, the, uh, Peter writes here, he says, uh, we should conduct ourselves throughout the time of our stay here in fear. We live our lives. We walk in fear and reverence of the Lord, the one who will judge what we do. We lay up treasure in heaven so that when we get there, the things that are tried by fire will last. And we'll have a crown that we can lay at Jesus' feet in worship and thankfulness for what he's done. <laughs> That's the precious price that was paid for us to redeem our souls. Go back to Psalm 49. So the application we continue to have here, verse 16, he says, Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For most of us, I don't think we'd be, we're afraid necessarily from our English understanding of this word. When somebody gets wealthy, like it doesn't scare us, Right? But the word here actually speaks of being in reverence, having awe, holding them in high regard, saying don't do that when someone becomes rich. Don't do that when the glory of his house is increased. Have the eternal perspective. Verse 17, when he dies, he's going to carry nothing away, it says. His glory shall not descend after him. It's going to amount to nothing. Don't hold them in high regard who are successful in this world according to worldly things. And when we see the attitude of the heart of a man who's carnal, verse 18, though while he lives, he blesses himself. Self-esteem doesn't amount to anything, right? The world since the 80s has been telling us that we should love ourselves. I mean, even before that, really. But... Uh, that's been the push in Western culture and society with modern pop psychology and all of these other things is love yourself, have high self-esteem and you'll be fine. You need to, you need to take care of number one. All of these things it says though while he lives, he blesses himself for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. It says you're going to receive praise. It's not going to amount to anything. It says he shall go to the generation of his fathers. I mean, he's going to die just like his fathers before him. They shall never see light. been reading the book of John. Uh, that word light, it's literally the light of life. Job talks about it, seeing the light of life. The light being the light of the, the redemption of Christ and what he gives. John talks about that. Um, that. Jesus being the light of the world. If our lives are lived only in this life, only for things that amount to anything in this life, we're not going to see light. But if we walk with him, if we've placed our faith in him, if we've been redeemed with him, 
then we'll see the light of life in Christ. And then there's that reminder at the very end, a man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. So there's this, this sealing of the deal here with the psalmist where he says, man who is in honor has success, has all of these blessings in this life, has wealth, has prosperity, is succeeding, all of these things. If he does not understand this truth that is being taught here, is like a beast that perishes, senseless beast that perishes, will amount again to nothing. Turn uh, to James chapter 4. Uh, look at verse 13. We need to have heavenly perspective. And it's not just, again, about riches and wealth. Uh, it's about our entire life. James here writing uh, to the church, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We're going to spend a year there. We'll buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? He says, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We're not told not to make plans, but to put that in the Lord's hands. And to say, if he wills, we're going to do that. And that gives us, again, the right perspective. If our perspective is, if the Lord wills, then we'll be successful in that, then we walk with him, and when he closes the door, we say, the Lord didn't will for that to happen. And, and, and we continue to walk with him and follow. We're not setting ourselves up for disappointment or for failure, but we're just following the Lord. And then verse 16, it says, But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Making plans apart from the Lord, James is saying, is, is boasting and arrogance in your own understanding, and it's evil. He says, verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And then he says, therefore, for the believer, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Have the right perspective. Don't store up treasure in the last days. We live in the last days now. How, where are we storing our treasure? Is it with the Lord or is it with this earth? Is it heavenly or is it earthly? The right perspective is to be patient. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
spiritual treasure in this, as we store it up in this life, we don't always see the fruit here and now. In fact, most of the time, we don't see the fruit here and now. So what what it is for us to do is to be patient, to trust the Lord as we store up treasure in heaven, as we seek to follow him and to be faithful to what he's called us to do, to make plans, to, to, to put those plans in the Lord's hand, to uh, have a job that, that provides for your needs and even provides abundantly and to use that abundance for the Lord's glory and for his will. To, to do those things, to store up that treasure. You're not going to see things this side of heaven necessarily. You might see some fruit. You may see some fruit. But we're to be like the farmer waiting pr- uh, for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until the Lord gives us that treasure, that inheritance that we've stored up as we're standing before him. We're called to be patient and to seek him to follow him to not fear like the psalmist says to not worry to not um, strive after these things again you know the world around us is getting darker and darker it's what we're told will happen in the end days we're truly living in it things i believe if the lord tarries will continue to get worse and worse uh and we have to have our feet grounded in the truth of the scriptures to have the right perspective, to understand that if I lose my job tomorrow because I'm taking a stand on biblical things or, uh, or for whatever reason, uh, to know and understand that my life does not consist in these things that I've gained here on the earth, but in what I've stored in heaven to trust the Lord, to not fear, to walk with him. Uh, I wanted to end with the third verse of a hymn. Uh, It's a well-known hymn, This Is My Father's World. Um, And just, uh, it's, I love that whole hymn. Uh, You know, it talks about creation and the Lord and and just uh, glorying in the fact that he's creator and sovereign over the world. This third verse, it's, most of the time not sung, and in fact, in modern versions, they've changed the wording um, to make it kind of light and flowery. But this is what it says. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Right? That's the end result. We're going to live, we might suffer, we're going to not see the fruit of our walking with him here and now, but the battle is not done. We walk with the Lord, we follow him, and Jesus, who died for our sins, who redeemed our soul from the grave, he will receive us. And when his work is done, we're going to stand before him with all the heavenly blessings and all the riches of his inheritance that he's given to us and it'll be beautiful but if we store up things here and now we're we're going to be losing out we're going to be missing out so let's pray